Hello and welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast for the first time in 2022. I'm Ed and I'm joined today by Emily. Hi everyone. By Paul. Oh. And by Claire. Hiya. How are you guys feeling today? Good. I am also good. Not good. bad, not bad. Upset that you just said 2022. It feels crazy that we're... Um, yeah. I'm still writing 2021 on things. Sometimes I still even think it's 2020. <laughs> yeah. We're living in the future. We are. How are you, Ed? I'm okay. Yeah, not too bad. I had a very nice uh, curry before doing this, so that's always put me in a good mood. And I've got a cup of tea sat here with me, so all is well. Winning at life. Yeah, that's it. Um, so we've. this is the first episode we've recorded this year, and the last one we recorded was uh, we recorded right at the start of December, didn't we? So it's actually been kind of close to two months well, a month and a half since we last recorded one of these. So it's feeling like a bit of a novelty uh, for me. Uh, we've had a bit of a chat in the last few weeks about stuff we could do this year and uh, recordings that we could do. And we've got some really interesting topics coming up soon. And we're really excited to uh, yeah get on with them. But today we are talking about the topic of entertainment, what we choose to watch, listen to and read. Uh, whilst I was prepping for this, a verse came to mind, which was Philippians 4, 8-9. And it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then God will be, Then the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, so... We're kind of talking about the, all these things that we can consume, these uh, bits of TV shows or film, these clips online, um, all sorts of different things, and the effect it can have on us. Um, so we thought our icebreaker question would be, what sort of rules did we have growing up around this uh, that, that we had to obey? <laughs> that we had to obey. <laughs> we had to. <laughs> that makes it sound like we all have such, you know authoritative parent figures in our lives <laughs> well i think i just i was too scared um to be a rebel not because my parents are frightening because but because i was a wimp <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i can't think of any rules but then i can't think of there was anything i desperately wanted to watch or read or whatever that i wasn't allowed to yeah the only thing i can think of is um when i was probably like three i wasn't allowed to watch power rangers because my mum and dad didn't like the, it was just fighting for 20 minutes. Okay. Which now I think about, I kind of get, because it is essentially just yep. glorifying violence, which <laughs> probably isn't the best thing for a two or three year old to watch. Yeah. It is funny when you look back on things now that seem really, you know, you watch as a kid that you look now that it just seems like really inappropriate or in terms of music that you used to listen to. It was seemed totally innocent at the time, yeah. But as you get older, you're like, really? Like watching The Simpsons, like half the jokes in there, like go completely over my well, used to go completely over my head, but now you think, my goodness, there, there's some raunchy stuff in The Simpsons. Mm, yeah. it, also, we're looking at it from a completely different frame of reference to this current generation as well, aren't we? Because 
we wouldn't have had those arguments of just being able to have easy access to Netflix where, you know, all you have to tick is I am over the age of 16 or like on, on iPlayer. Mm. We didn't have that free access to everything. You know, I, you will all remember probably when that one program that you, you wait a week for comes on and you shout in your siblings like, it's starting, it's starting. And you all kind of run and you gather and you watch that thing together. So I don't know that, um, there was ever anything that I really wanted to watch that I wasn't allowed to. One thing I do remember though is maybe going to sleepovers of friends and watching horror movies that actually probably like really stayed with me. Like I would then ne- not be able to sleep at the sleepover because that wouldn't have been something that I would have watched at home. So I guess there probably were protective boundaries in place, but how explicit they were and how much I was aware of them. I'm not I'm not sure about that but definitely I was one of those that you know had watched a horror movie I'd be looking in every reflection of the window mm-hmm. you know and probably still would now at the age of 30 yeah I, I definitely had a few um rules and things that I, I wasn't allowed and there's a few that I'm not sure whether this I wasn't allowed it because of my personality and the fact that I get I've got quite an addictive personality so I get very into things and that was true when I was young as well and I think maybe there were some things that my parents were just fed up of hearing about um so (laughs) Pokemon was gone at one point um but you know I've heard now that I've grown up that some Christians don't like Pokemon and they think it's demonic or whatever um and I don't think that was the case that was the reason I think I was just annoying with it and got too into it um <laughs> I'll have to speak to my parents and confirm what what happened there uh, but I can remember lots of conversations about video games and which ones were good for me to play like I always wanted to play Call of Duty but that was like an 18 and it took a long time well yeah for that for them to say yeah you, you're old enough now to have a go did at Call of Duty that, did they ever say to you you're old enough now or do you just play it now because you've grown up and you're allowed well I, I remember there was one point where my mum allowed me to buy a Call of Duty and I wasn't quite 18 yet um, and she it was very much a, well I'm not happy about this but <laughs> <laughs> even better yeah yeah um, but yeah there, there were some things that you know I, I would definitely want to play that my parents would be like actually I, that's not going to be good for you and it's tricky to understand those things at the time, I guess. When I was a child, well, maybe I was a teenager, I used to watch Crime Watch because, you know, I was really into, you know, finding out where these criminals were. But I do think that has made me uh, rather fearful in terms of getting burgled or in terms of those things. I remember once there was an incident and someone was in their kitchen and a burglar in the garden had taken down some washing so that they went outside to go and pick the washing and burgle their house. And because I'd seen this once when I was at home, I, when I went out to get the washing in, I locked the back door and then managed to, for whatever reason, not be able to get back in the oh, house. No. I was in my pyjamas in the garden for a good couple of hours. That's why you shouldn't watch scary programmes. That's my life lesson for the day. That is, yeah, that's a good lesson learned, that. <laughs> Do you think if we've, like agreed that when we were younger a lot of things went over our head like a lot of lyric um a lot of lyrics went over our head and maybe even jokes in the Simpsons or things like I remember watching Friends with my parents and thinking it was great but I definitely wouldn't have understood the innuendos and things do you think that's there's a difference in like lyrics that we consume compared to like visual the visual 
side of things. And would you say that you think that's still the same for young people today? Because, you know, I work with young people and if I was to sit here and say, oh, yeah, I did, I did watch that, but I didn't really know what it meant. Do we place too much emphasis on whether actually young people are consuming it and how much it actually affects them? That's a really good point you make about kind of visual. And when you see stuff, whether you understand the context of it, that's kind of in your mind. Whilst perhaps if you don't understand what words are being said or the context of it, it's that different level of understanding and the impact that has on us, I guess. I'm a very visual person and I would probably argue that the visual is more influential than the spoken I think it's probably hard to be like nuanced in in visual because it's either something that is not appropriate to watch or is appropriate to watch. But if there's like things like jokes and things, you can maybe get away with that if people don't understand what's going on. Whereas if it's in front of you, it's obvious. Yeah, and some are probably some of the best movies that adults take their children to at the cinema have nuances of adult humour that the children don't pick up on. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's really hard to kind of figure out where that line is of what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate, and and especially when you throw in that complication of jokes that are designed to go over children's heads, like it, they are they're kind of there to make children's programs viewable and entertaining for adults as well because they're subjected to so many of them. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like I, I it's one of those that I just I don't know enough about the subject to know where where that line is or what is appropriate. I think it's quite difficult because it's changed since even since we were kids. Yeah. Like a, a twelve now is very different to what a twelve would have been when in like two thousand. Yeah. Like it, some of the Marvel films that are like PGs have got quite a lot of swearing in them now. Yeah. And that just wouldn't have been the case when we were children. And you wonder if those safeguards are really effective anyway, don't you? Because of what we've already talked about with how much access in in the digital age children have. I'm not sure that they are particularly effective, but I I agree. I've totally noticed that things that are a a 12 or a 15 now, you think, oh my goodness, I would not have watched that when I was younger. And it's interesting because you wonder, obviously, what we think is appropriate for kids and adults. Where are they learning these things along the journey to get to a point where, as an adult, you understand it and that? Like, it, yeah. do, they, do we pick it up stuff from entertainment to get that understanding? Or is it from conversations? Is it family, friends? Because at some point, clearly, we then decide perhaps it is appropriate. Yeah, just magically when you hit 18, you, you know all of that stuff and it's all fine. <laughs> yeah, true, true. And I guess potentially that's the point we might be making, that in terms of whatever age you are, you have to be aware of what you are consuming. Yeah, I guess that brings us nicely into talking about how we manage this now. And it's such a a broad scope, isn't it, to try and kind of talk about all the things that we consume on a daily basis. So we thought we'd start with TV and film. What sort of stuff do you watch and what sort of stuff do you choose not to watch? I think in all honesty, the things that I want to watch, I probably think are fairly healthy for me because there's the things that I just don't want to watch. So wouldn't choose Mm. to watch. I don't think I ever think, Oh, I really want to watch this, but I won't. 
Hmm. Um, whether I'm naive, whether I just boring, I don't know. But but it's interesting because I've recently got into watching more kind of crime dramas, psychological thrillers, those sort of things. I never used to, but I've even noticed that doing that, I've things that I've watched have come into dreams, have turned up in my in my thoughts there, which. I was suddenly thinking, actually, no, this does have an impact on what I am thinking about and what I am taking in, which I never probably would have engaged in before. Because you don't have many traumatic dreams about Paddington, do you? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Paddington 2 yet, so I haven't had any about the first one, but I don't know if it takes a turn. A little bit scarier. (laughs) Prison involved. Oh, okay. Can the podcast be called Traumatic Dreams About Paddington, please? Yes. (laughs) That is a good idea. (laughs) I think um, it comes down to, I think with this issue, it's really subjective, isn't it? I know that certain things for me wouldn't be good for me emotionally and psychologically, but actually my husband might be able to manage them much better because he is able to suspend his disbelief. Um, No, I'm not as able to suspend my disbelief. No way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which way around is it i don't know hold on um yeah suspending your disbelief is when you become immersed in it so i i can suspend my disbelief quite yeah. easily whereas my husband watches something and can very very easily look at that as fiction so if we're thinking about gore or we're thinking about horror although we don't watch horror if we were to watch a war movie or something that involves that kind of thing, he would just really easily not be phased by it because it's fiction. Some of the things that I would um, avoid watching personally would be things that feel really close to the work that I do. For example, at the minute, Afterlife is really, really popular on Netflix and it follows this journey of grief. And for me... I don't I wouldn't find that helpful because I deal with bereaved people all the time and so I don't want to come home and then consume that kind of content again because I just feel it wouldn't be good enough for my emotional well-being. So it's such a subjective thing. I also know I've watched I've started to watch um films where I've got 15 minutes in and been like this isn't going to be good for me in my current state how I feel at the moment and I think this thing, this area just takes a lot of self-regulation, doesn't it? And for Mm. us each to be firstly self-aware, secondly, in tune with what we believe God wants for us when it comes to guarding our minds and our hearts. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I'm probably quite similar to you in that sense. Um, I get really emotionally invested in what I'm watching, Um, like really emotionally invested. So if we're watching something that's like uh, uh really sad i will just be sobbing and sophie will be sat there like what what are you doing um <laughs> but she loves like really like gritty dramas and um like medical dramas and all that sort of stuff so like she's watching gray's anatomy in the living room at the moment and i know i won't sit and watch gray's anatomy because like the moral decisions they have to make around who lives and who dies and all the bereavement and stuff i know that i'll finish watching that and i'll be like oh i'm so gutted that he died and like that that emotion thing will stay with me um and that's the same with like comedies as well if i watch something that's funny it will really make me laugh and that will really put me in a good mood um so i know that 
actually they they do have an effect on my mood. They do like stay with me in a way. So I I kind of I I wouldn't watch anything that's like too um like over the I wouldn't watch any like horrors certainly. Um yeah. Yeah, I think what you said Emily about um having that self-awareness is really important. Um I would say for me I I don't really watch like psychological horrors. But I think that's because for me, that's the sort of thing that stays in my mind. So it's not like I can cope with like gore, gore and like realism and the stuff like that. But the some of the psychological thrillers are the things that like just stick in my mind and I can't stop thinking about it. So I think me knowing that it means that I tailor to what to what I would watch to what I would take in. Mm. Um, and I think some things. In terms of con, like I really like comedy, and <clears throat> I don't tend to watch a lot of films. Uh, but if I do, they tend to be more lighthearted, generally speaking. Um, but it's because I don't like anything that goes over the top in, like, if it's even even in comedy, like being too vulgar for no reason. Like, if it's not adding to the story, there's a lot of TV series and things like I, the, the bits of Family Guy that I don't really like, even though that's a lot of Family Guy is very much my style of comedy. The bits that just go too far or like unnecessarily vulgar hmm. um and there at that point i kind of think well i'm not this you're not you're just being vulgar for vulgar's sake and i don't i don't get that um but i don't know if that's taste or if that's me knowing that that's kind of a step too far but i don't know It's interesting because I remember being a kid and when the grandparents come to stay and you watch TV with them and you, well, we just did have this constant tutting whenever there was a swear word here or this or that or that. And it is in terms of that, perhaps it is that taste, but in terms of what we think is appropriate in the wider world. And when we see things on the TV screen that perhaps we wouldn't accept in the wider world, that's when it becomes this kind of mismatch sometimes in terms of, where we would accept that behaviour. And I guess the difference also, perhaps, between the fiction and the factual. Like, you watch some of these documentaries in terms of projected as real life, and knowing that that does go on in reality, do our brains react to that differently than perhaps a fictional interpretation of something where we know it's make-believe? Hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's maybe where I, where I was where my mind goes with like some of the psychological horrors and thrillers and stuff, where if it, if it's sort of played as something that's real, it get it sticks in my mind for longer. Mm. Whereas there's th- things like, um, I don't know if you've seen Django, which is like unnecessarily bloody yeah. for no reason, but it's to a ridiculous amount. It's It's just so obviously over the top that you kind of disconnect from that. It doesn't, it's not realistic. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy uh, to kind of comment on this as adults where we are and know that we can now self-regulate what we watch and be perfectly happy and confident and secure in the choices that we make for ourselves. And hopefully none of us ever feel a sense of like pressure from others to watch a certain thing. But as you're growing up, you definitely do feel that sense of if you haven't watched something and your peers are all discussing it, that you, you know, you're excluded from that and that can be yeah. quite difficult. And I think that's a challenge for, for Christian parenting and also parents of other faiths that I know 
can can make those boundaries and I don't always think that this is a faith issue I think it's just a good Mm. parenting issue but there are aspects of our faith which give us advice in this area um but yeah I know of Christian friends that weren't allowed for example to watch Harry Potter growing up and that as an adult they feel that actually they really were sort of let down by the parents in that area because they felt excluded they felt they didn't have the same reference point as their peers and you really wouldn't want those choices to be something that stops your child from gives the sense that religion is about um rules regulations Mm. and not about the freedom that the gospel brings yeah, it's interesting, and, and I'm glad you brought up Harry Potter because when we first spoke, like started speaking about this, that's kind of the big example that that came to mind because there's been huge debates in the church about Harry Potter, and I don't know if you will have heard the story about the entertainer toy shop uh, owned by a Christian guy, and he refused to stock any Harry Potter stuff in it at all in the entertainer toy shop. Um, this was back in like the early like. Noughties, um, well, well, late noughties, I guess, when Harry Potter was coming out. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of did spark a, a big debate online. And I find that interesting because, in a way, that, that that's coming from a place of we're afraid that this will make people want to go into witchcraft and go and explore the occult and those things that don't line up with, with who we are. And um, I guess that's a criticism that's been thrown at like any sort of fictional work that has magic in it, you know, from um, Harry Potter to Dungeons and Dragons to uh, all sorts of different things, Lord of the Rings even, um, that have, have magic in it. People, uh, there have been Christians that say we shouldn't get involved with it. Now, that is a different reasoning to what we've spoken about. I think our, so far, all of our reasoning has been what is the effect it has on our minds and what's the effect that it has on on ha- on our emotions. Uh, and this is a sort of different thing of if you watch this, there's a chance that you'll end up uh, dabbling in the occult. Um, do you what do you think about that danger, that sort of um, that threat, I guess, that a lot of Christians have felt? My my personal view is that it's like 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 we said. I think I, I, do, I do think it kind of overlaps because as a as a parent, it's your job to do the the, the regulating and to be aware for your child. Um, and by no means am I saying that you should just accept anything as fine as a parent. But I'm not sure what the what the actual reasoning is. Or if there's any sort of, if if there's any actual backing to say that if you watch Harry Potter, you're going to join the occult. I feel like some steps have been missed there. Um, Yeah. I don't want to say fear mongering, but that's the word that's in my head. Um, Yeah, I was just thinking that when anything like new that comes out that's a bit taboo or that hasn't been it, explored before or a new sense of pushing the boundaries of humor i do think christians are the first to be like what do we think about this we need to evaluate it and we need to create a standpoint about what we think and then actually if you look at how christian attitudes towards harry potter have changed now actually there's been literature that's been released which actually talk about 
gospel themes throughout mm. Harry Potter. I remember being given a book that said that was called The Gospel According to Harry Potter. And so we have this like almost knee jerk reaction, don't we? Of, of like you said, Paul, of that sudden, like it invokes fear. It invokes fear of change. It invokes fear that people are going to go off on a, in a certain direction. And I just think we should really be asking ourselves whenever we see something new, um, you know, what is it in me that's offended by this? Is, it, is this actually something that is designed to be dark and is designed to create fear, which some horrors are, they purposely create tension, purposely make you feel on edge. Or is it actually something else within me? Is it something that I've been taught and of you I've, been in, I've inherited that this isn't okay? And I always think we should question those to test, are they in line with scripture and are they in line with G what Jesus would say because there was very little in the gospels that Jesus was offended by um you know in fact some would say that the encounters that he had with the demon possessed and mm. the lepers you know are quite close to some of those horrible things that we might even be advised against watching so little offended Jesus because he has power over those things. So I always try to ask myself, if I see anything uncomfortable, what is it in me that's offended and why? Um, mm -hmm. But I know not everyone's that self-aware. Some people just watch, some people just glaze over and watch and consume without analysing it. I think you touched on something really important there from a Christian point of view to say that God has power over those things mm. and that, we often come from a place of fear first when we're taught by everything in the Bible that first and foremost, God is powerful and God has power over everything. So it, it's strange that when we see something new, we're immediately scared of that. And that, that is the overriding factor in, for me, the decisions that I see and that sort of thing in, oh, we, we can't, you know, we can't get involved in Harry Potter because it might turn us into devil worshippers. It seems like a big step, but it also seems like the opposite of what we're taught in the Bible. That you know, if we if we bear ourselves in God, that that those things shouldn't affect us as much because God is protecting us and God is with us and God is God is powerful over even our own emotions. Mm. And I guess it's interesting how it seems to kind of be an either or. You will either worship Jesus or you will join the occult because you've watched Harry Potter. Not necessarily um, recognising that, as you were talking about, like the gospel according to Harry Potter, actually, if this is part of popular culture, and I'm not saying we should take on every part of popular culture, but if this is part of popular culture, how can we use it to explore our faith or encourage kids or encourage whoever to say, what do we see in this and what can we use? Because that Bible verse you said earlier about whatever whatever is true, whatever is noble, mm. focus on these things. What can we see within the films we watch, the TV that we watch, which is focusing on the good? What can we learn from it? And I guess the other thing is, as soon as you tell someone you can't watch that, you can't read that, whatever, mm. the inclination is, why? what is it? I want to know more about this. Yeah. And then if you look at it without any sort of guidance, any kind of support on that, then potentially it is more dangerous. And you're definitely right. There are some really good themes in things like Harry Potter. There are so many moments where 
actually I think when when you when you view the world through Jesus eyes you see Jesus things <laughs> and throughout Harry Potter there's so many kind of that that resurrection story you've got all this stuff like there there is so many well the, the story of Jesus is the best story it's the best narrative there is we're going to see it mirrored in in all sorts of different places and it's certainly uh, drawn upon for some aspects of Harry Potter so yeah absolutely there's a really good other bit of scripture as well that I think is really applicable in this area and it's taken from Corinthians it's 1 Corinthians 10 23 um and uh, in Paul's writing he's saying you say that I have the right to do anything but not everything is beneficial mm. yes I have the right to do anything but not everything is constructive and it's, you know, like that writing to the church that actually are engaged in this fight for individual liberty. And, you know, I should be able to engage in whatever kind of behaviours I want to be, be engage in. But actually, when we live in the truth of, of who Jesus is, you know, he wants us to live life in all its fullness. And that doesn't mean opening doors to despair and opening doors to fear and opening doors to what can be the very darkest of human nature. So I think that's the thing for me. And that's always the line I would take when speaking to young people on this is, yeah, absolutely. You you have that freedom and you have the freedom to click and you have the freedom to watch that. But actually, not all of those things are beneficial. So we've titled this episode, You Are What You Watch. And when we first were discussing that theme and that idea, it, it was very much based around this idea of TV and film. But the more we thought about it and the more we kind of drilled into it, realised that actually maybe that is a little bit um, naive and perhaps a little bit just limited to the generation we grew up in. But um, there is this new media that we are consuming and we are absorbing uh, absorbing at a, a really high rate and that is usually from our phones we see it through youtube or we see it through facebook or twitter or all sorts of social media platforms and this this idea of we are what we consume we are what we watch is a really scary thought when, when you are seeing the the sheer breadth of content that we consume um every day from our phones so what do you guys think about um you are what you watch in light of the technological age we live in and with these little computers that we carry around with us streaming information into our eyeballs for many hours a day. That was so intense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting, I guess, because in terms of with social media, perhaps, we then give something back into that often. Yeah. So if, well, normally if we watch a film, we are totally consuming it mm. and we will react in some way or other. But perhaps on social media, we might when we see something straight away, perhaps we are. It, it changes what we express and we express something in response to that mm. and how that looks like and how the when you see things. Well, when you see things on Facebook, you see people react and you see people perhaps present a version of themselves that is very clearly a reaction of what they've just consumed. Mm. So when you you read a status, when you read a comment, straight away, often, you give a response, which perhaps wouldn't be your response if you hadn't obviously just read that. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's it's frightening really um thinking about this and I, I often try not to think about it too much. Um but I, I heard someone once say that we consume more information in a day than someone who lived a few thousand years ago would in a lifetime. Just because the sheer amount of stuff we see. And that is frightening, isn't it? And like it we're just our, our brains are like on crack <laughs> because of the amount of stuff going in um it's and we don't really know what the long term effects of that are do we um yeah yeah and i think that you know you could you could say i i've definitely seen the really really damaging effects of when students aren't in control of mm. what they're following on social media and i think you know I always say back to them, you are in control. Only you are in control of what um, what you're following and in turn what algorithms kind of kick out and kick up for you. And so trying to highlight, again, that self-awareness of what they're following. I also think you could argue that the problem for these students is that they're actually not what they watch and that's the problem. <laughs> You know, I'm not what I follow and I wish I was. And uh, and that's, you know, that is the big problem because it's this it's this psychological way of thinking of comparing and despairing, um, which, you know, we must have touched on before. But, yeah, you know, if I was what I watch, honestly, it would mostly be animals and uplifting, I like videos of people being reunited after a long time <laughs> all that kind of stuff like it would be a very very tame <laughs> thing the very cushy thing that I would turn into but yeah I definitely think um what I would also say is just to not to dismiss the experiences of young people I think they are quite aware of it and I have known them make wise choices in this area and choose actively what they do and don't follow um, as well. So, you know, I do think they get a bad rap in this area too sometimes. Mm. And I think adults, especially with sort of newer social media, because it's new to, to adults as well, it's easy for, for anyone to fall into the sort of pitfalls of comparing and... Um, mm. I think I think we said it on the social media episode, but that is quite a long time ago now. I appreciate two years ago um, that you know in Instagram and that sort of thing is, you know, it's you, you only you only put things on of you on your best day, mm. um, which means that everyone sees a reflection of them as not as good as everyone else because you see you on your worst days, but you don't see everyone else on those days, mm. um, and consuming that content is is always going to be some something to compare to. Um, yeah, and I guess it, it does come back to being self-aware of and aware of the, the sort of situation that, that you're in, like you say, what you choose to follow, what you choose to to intake into, in, in terms of content um, and being aware of what, what effect that might have is a big step into sort of changing your outlook on it. And I guess also to in terms of social media, new media, a lot of that isn't regulated. So we could we can do anything. We could write anything. We could put anything. I don't know to an extent. Well, there is some sort of censorship somewhere within um, TV and film. Whilst literally we can write anything, and you have to interpret the truth. 
Yeah. And when we all look at that individually, how we respond, and I guess it can for anything, isn't it? How we respond to what we see is going to vary from person to person. Mm. I probably uh, plugged this book last time we uh, did social media, but there's an amazing book called uh, Flickering Pixels by Shane Hips, and it is it is one of those books that you know you finish reading it and you're like oh my goodness, <laughs> just completely blows your mind. And in it, he um, this guy talks about um, the effect that our smartphones and effects that social media and new technology is having on our minds and how it's rewiring the way we think about it. And he, he kind of says we don't really know. We know some of the effects of it, uh, but we don't really know the long-term stuff. But what we can do is look back in time and see how technology has always affected the way we think and process information and even uh, how we do theology and how we talk about God. And he talks about the printing press as being like one of the biggest uh, developments in human technology and how suddenly we would have all of our information um, would be put through a printing press and printed in sequential lines. And this kind of happened alongside like the a big um, industrial revolution. It happened alongside this time where suddenly we became very organized and very good at the mechanical stuff about developing things. And he was arguing in a way that there was this way that we codified information and shared information and learned things through sequential lines of information written, like printed on a page, actually programmed our brains in a certain way. And he then like holds up um, theology of the time and compare and holds it next to the technological developments. And he even argues that the way we talk about God and salvation became a sequential way of doing it. So um, prior to the printing press, we would communicate the gospel with stained glass windows. We'd communicate it with story and the kind of the oral tradition. We'd communicate it through community of reading of of written text, but that would be usually one big text in your church and it, you'd hear it shared, um, read out by uh, whoever was doing it that day. So you interpret it from a communal lens, from an artistic lens, through um, all these different ways. But then when suddenly everyone had their own version of the Bible imprinted with them, you start reading individualism into it, you start reading a systematic way of salvation into it. And this whole idea of you believe in Jesus, you um, apologize for your sins and you invite them into your heart, and then you get salvation, this sort of this plus this equals that, was, he argues, just wasn't around in the same way before the printing press because our brains were programmed differently. And that's a, a scary thought in a way because it makes you think, what is what are the new technological developments going to do to the way we think about God and salvation and theology? Um, but yeah, I find all of that really interesting. And are people just going to be taking the comments section of an article on a on a, a biblical analysis and taking the comments section as truth? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we are, you know, we are at a point where that's possible. I think you've explained that really, really, really well, actually, and definitely what you said made me think of like iconography and how you know it used to be that people just examined like icons and the artistic depictions of mm. like even the trinity or of christ and you know how you look at one image and so many people pick out different nuances of that um, and then when the written word is brought in it complicates that relationship so much doesn't it so yeah that that's um really interesting and not to say it's all bad as well. I think we, we learned a lot and we gained a lot in that process, but I think we also probably lost quite a bit of that that emotion and story and creativity. 
but we are becoming a much more visual culture now aren't we uh with with social media with that returning we we know that if you share a picture on facebook or wherever it will do a lot better than just some text so um maybe our, our brain well our brains are being reprogrammed in a different way but we just don't know where where that's going to end up thinking a lot about um what things perhaps we try to not engage our brains with in terms of what's damaging for our brains but i wonder whether there's any things that you've seen that you view that actually do do what that bible verse says in terms of thinking on things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable so is there anything that you've seen or you watch that actually help you do that I'm going to jump straight in and say um, anybody that has, hasn't has watched Queer Eye. Um, so Queer Eye, I just think, is such wholesome viewing um, because it's basically um, five guys that just come in and help make transformation in people's lives through various different areas. So they, they help to transform people's um, social and emotional baggage that they've got they help to um help people just to take care of themselves to love themselves better um they do like lifestyle changes in the home and they all work together in this way that is keeping the individual's holistic healing at the center of everything and I just think so many of the qualities and the themes that I see in there are just how Jesus was with people how he helped to tap into people's potential what it is they need healing in their lives where they need to go and it's just such wholesome viewing and I honestly I just cry with joy every single episode so if you haven't watched it I would definitely say that that for me is um it's a taste of kingdom values um so yeah that is one thing for me that I just think it, it takes my mind to those places of it, it's a program that just doesn't no one sits in judgment everybody sits in a place of wanting to seek to know the other more deeply can't think of anything in particular which maybe is a worry for I'm thinking specifically like tv and film um, but I think, like you said there, Emily, about sort of mirroring kingdom values, I think it's quite important that when you're watching things that you kind of look for those um, and notice those in, in the content that that you consume. Um, and if you want to become more like Jesus, you have to notice those qualities and be able to notice those in, in other people, whether they're fictional people or real people. Um, you know, that's... Even, even in real life, it's, it's still kind of a content that we consume. Um, but I think it's important to look for those qualities and recognise those in, in the people that you see, whether they're on screen or not. Um, I'm struggling to think of, and I'm trying to keep talking while I think about examples. <laughs> Stalling it out well, that's good. Um, but I'm just thinking of a lot of sitcoms where people are generally just nice to each other. But, but I can't think of any examples particularly. So there you go. Have let's, you got one? Ed? Yeah, there, there's. Can I have two? Can I have two? You can have two. Yes. Okay. Yes, get in. Um, so the first one is a recent one. Well, last kind of three, four months, which is the Chosen. Um, 
I don't know if you've you've watched that, but I was really reluctant to watch it because <laughs> I just thought, okay, this is a, a Christian-made series about the life of Jesus. And in my mind, I just really cynically went, it's going to be rubbish in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but it isn't. It isn't. Um, we're, we're kind of going through it in the Bible study that I'm part of, um, just episode by episode and kind of uh, sharing questions and sharing what we what struck us about the episode and it's just been amazing actually seeing these stories that we're so familiar with brought to life with real characters and personalities and um like i've never actually thought about who like the disciples as people if that makes sense before they've just been names on a page that participate in a story i've never thought about their personalities or motives or um those sort of things and it just it's opened up these these amazing stories in um in a really new way for me so that's been uh really powerful and that's been quite a beneficial thing for me uh the other one that i listen to as much as i can is um and the nomad podcast uh which is just a place where people like share their faith and share journeys that they've gone on and uh, talk about big topics that uh, blow my mind and uh, do all sorts of stuff. And I just love hearing who are p- people who are passionate about their faith and passionate about um, their journey and what they've learned and want to share that and want to challenge each other and are, are happy to have big conversations. And yeah, so listening to that always always is good for me as well. Um, and even covered podcasts. We haven't even co- covered haven't podcasts. Or music. <laughs> Or music, there's so much more to do. It's interesting, isn't it, how we can make these choices and how our our life and our faith can be enriched by what we choose to watch, what we choose to listen to. And I think I've got to get it in there. In terms of, for me, call the midwife on a <laughs> Sunday night. I was just about to say, Claire, you are going to mention call the midwife, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to mention call the midwife. My Facebook on a Sunday night, I apologise, is full of quotes from call the midwife. Yeah. And there's just this it's it is faith based, but in terms of it's also about the reality of life and in terms of how in the darkest situations God can still be present. Or even it perhaps isn't always named as God, but it is named as that as faith, something more, some deeper meaning. And what I really love about it is it doesn't give the easy answers. It kind of sits there and you grapple with where is the love and the hope within those difficult situations and for me watching an hour of call the midwife in terms of getting inspiration perhaps there's more than an hour sermon (gasps) wow (laughs) yeah i'm with you on that completely it's those little golden nuggets isn't it Mm. that like every now and again something that you hear or something that you see just like nestles its way right down into your heart and it stays there and that's how you just know that that is that's a a gift from god isn't it it's a gift from the spirit when something just makes its root in your heart and you think Mm. yeah that's and and you can get that you can get that you know controversial though it may sound from the secular world in places that are unexpected and i think you know in this area especially as christians you know we mustn't think that that God is not at work through through this, through media, through what we watch, through what we consume. Because yeah, when you see the world through the Jesus lens, as Ed said earlier, those um those little nuggets just they take you by surprise and they find you. Um and it's amazing when that happens. Amen. 
So I don't tend to watch Call the Midwife. I just uh, read Claire's Facebook page and catch up on all of that. So um, I, I feel <laughs> like I get the, the highlights. Line yourself, I say. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I think that's about all we have time for today. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. We're really glad to be back for 2022. And we've got lots of exciting stuff coming up in the coming weeks. If you'd like to kind of carry on this conversation and share your thoughts about where you draw the line, where you put in um, things that to, to help you deal with what you consume, or perhaps just share some really good things that actually you find are true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and do bring you closer to God, we would love to hear your suggestions on all of that. Um, we're, yeah, if you'd like to share that, please go to the listener group on Facebook. So head over to SSOM listener group on Facebook, um, and share your thoughts there. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram or, um, any other way you can find. We'd just love to hear from you. Uh, but until next time, be well. Bye.